0: At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, it is our privilege to partner with local churches both in the United States and around the world in training men for the gospel ministry. If your church supports CBTS with $200 a month and a commitment to pray for us, any student in your church can attend CBTS tuition free. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, visit cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective.
1: We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here again with my co-host Dewey Dovel, and we have the privilege for the third time of speaking with Dr. Dustin Binge. This time we're going to be speaking on um, the topic of biblical spirituality. We'll tell you a little bit about why we're doing that. But Dr. Binge, welcome back to the Covenant Podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Austin. What a privilege to be back with you.
1: And Dr. Binge, um, the last time we had you on, it has been quite a while. We discussed a book that you co authored with Nate Pickowicks on the American Puritans. Um, I believe you were getting ready to move to the UK. But can you tell our audience about where you are now, what role you're currently serving in, and what what God has you doing in this time of your life?
2: Yeah, that's right, Austin. So the last time uh, I was with you, we were prepping and preparing to, to move to the United Kingdom to Wales, uh, where I served as provost at Union School of Theology uh, in Bridge End, Wales, which is the southern portion of Wales. Um, we went at the height of the pandemic, so it was quite a challenge. Uh, restrictions were uh, very difficult, just to say the least, much, much worse actually than they were here in the United States. Um, But in God's very kind providence, we were uh, very blessed uh, to be there. I was able to serve alongside uh, Mike Reeves and others at Union um, and just had a tremendous time. Uh, We were actually there for two years, and then I received a call, an invitation to come back Uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, where I currently am, uh, to assume the role, uh, a dual role, of Vice President of Communications, as well as um, uh, Associate Professor of Biblical Spirituality and Historical Theology. Uh, So it's quite a long title, uh, but my wife and I uh, have been back since December the 2nd uh, in the United States, Uh, and we are still settling in. Uh, We just received all of our household goods from Wales about three weeks ago. Uh, So there's still some boxes around the house and uh, all the rest of it, but I'm very thankful to have my books on the shelves um, and to have received uh, all of our things. So God's really blessing us, and we're very thankful to be back in the States
0: amen well we are delighted to have you back in the states as well and are excited at the work you'll be doing at Southern um, dr. binge the topic of our discussion today as Austin noted is on uh, the biblical spirituality series that you were editing for h e publishing and just to get our conversation started on that subject uh, perhaps you could provide us with a working definition of the concept of biblical spirituality I think it would be useful for our listeners to make sure that we're all clear on uh, what terms we'll be using in today's discussion, as well as how you flesh that out in the series with H&E.
2: Yeah, well, Dewey, thank you. Um, what a question. Uh, we could have uh, uh, any number of podcasts on just this question of defining spirituality as we find ourselves currently in a day that has confused uh, a definition of spirituality. Um, we have words like spiritual formation. Uh, we have words like piety and holiness and just spirituality. But what, what is this when we think about biblical spirituality? And so it, it's a very good and needed question. And so first we need to think through the word spirituality itself, um, which comes from a Latin term, spiritualitas. Uh, which in turn is derived from a very simple word, spiritus, uh, the Latin word for spirit. And so from its very earliest usage, uh, it becomes quite clear that the word is urging people to live a life in accordance with the Holy Spirit, Um, very uh, connected there, thus the term spirituality. So it's really an excellent doorway into the understanding of this term because true spirituality is very intimately bound up with the Holy Spirit and His work in the life of a believer. Now, if we ask uh, the New Testament authors, for instance, what is the nature of the Spirit's work in the life of a believer, we receive a significant plethora of information. Uh, There's any number of texts that we could go to. Uh, For instance, it's the Holy Spirit, for example, who is the one who makes God real for us. Um, A text that comes to mind is Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so, in a sense, it's the Spirit who stands at the very threshold of the Christian life for only He can enable us to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. Only He can embolden us to share our faith, Uh, the faith once delivered to all the saints. Only He can transform us in uh, in our sanctification to be more like Christ. And so the whole Christian life is centered upon the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So spirituality is thus about the life of faith, what drives us, what motivates that life, and what people find helpful in sustaining and developing that life. I think that's a major question uh, that people have today about sanctification. So it's about that which animates the life of believers and urges them on uh, to deepen and perfect what is already present in what began at salvation. So as we kind of work toward a definition, we can say that spirituality is the outworking in real life of a person's religious faith, what a person does and what they believe. Now, we could summarize much of this by saying that Christian spirituality is reflection on the whole Christian enterprise of achieving and sustaining a relationship with God, which includes both public worship as well as private devotion. And the result of these is the actual Christian life, that is, the living out of that which has been planted within us. Now, if we were to drill down a little deeper, Let me take some steps here with you. General spirituality is an experience of higher attainment. That's how the world would define spirituality, something like nirvana or some sort of existence outside of ourselves. While Christian spirituality is a focused experience of our relationship with God through Christ and the devotional practices that accompany that relationship, Bible study, prayer, meditation, fasting, the spiritual disciplines, etc. But if we were to drill down even more and talk about biblical spirituality, and here's your question, biblical spirituality is that which founds our relationship, the very foundation of that relationship. In other words, It's not some nebulous world of a higher conscience experience. That's not what we're talking about. That leaves us really to our own devices regarding how we pursue a relationship with God. But what it does is it grounds our spirituality in the Bible. It grounds our experience in the Bible, and it judges every experience we have in the Christian life against and through the framework of God's Word. And so we're not talking about spirituality here. We're not talking even about Christian spirituality, but no, we want our spirituality, our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of piety, our pursuit of the relationship with God founded upon the bedrock teaching, theology, and instruction of Scripture itself. Thus, we have biblical spirituality, which has everything to do with every aspect of life, both personal and corporate, imparted to the believer by the Holy Spirit as we pursue Christ's likeness and holiness with Him. So I have to say all of that to get to biblical spirituality, because you have to go through various layers of what is modern what it, what what the modern concept of spirituality is. So there we have it. There's somewhat of a working definition.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. We appreciate that, and it's directly bearing upon um, the topic of our conversation because um, we wanted to talk about this series that you're editing for H H&E and E Publishing, Heset and Emet Publishing. And so, um, can you tell us a little bit about that? What what books are you currently editing in this series? What are the titles of these books in Um, perhaps we could divide this up into like part A, part B, but after you answer that, in what ways do you think that some of these titles could contribute to biblical spirituality or to the spiritual growth of the Christian who's been united to Christ?
2: Yeah, so perhaps I could merge those together, if you will, and just kind of talk about each one and the the characteristics of each one, if you will. So uh, a little background, a little behind the scenes. I was Sitting on the couch uh, one Saturday afternoon in Wales, and this was during lockdown, during coronavirus, Um, this was during a period that we were not allowed in the United Kingdom to drive five miles beyond our house. So that was the type of restrictions. And so I thought, how can I be somewhat productive now? How can uh, I redeem the time as it were? Now, normally, I would just put on a Marvel movie or something like that. And perhaps that was even playing in the background as, as I was thinking through some of these things. but um, I, I was I, I'm always in various Reformation works or Puritan works or whatever have you, reading and so on. And I'm constantly encountering instructions about holiness, instructions about the pursuit of holiness, instructions about the means of grace, if you will. So I thought, Uh, Have have these ever been extracted and put in small little uh, forms, small little paperback forms of, say, 70, 80 pages, something very easy for lay people to read, for pastors, of course, but also lay people, very understandable uh, in order to grow in the Christian faith. And so the first book I set about doing, uh, which I'd wanted to do for a long time, was Prayer, The Chief Exercise of Faith by John Calvin. That was the very first book, and then what became a series. So I decided to do this book as really a standalone edited work, uh, because this is something that I've wanted to do again for some time. And then what emerged out of that was various other volumes, and so it became a series on biblical spirituality. Classics in biblical spirituality, I think, is uh, the terminology that we're using. So the The student of John Calvin, if we were just to start with the very first book, is aware of his extensive writing on the subject of prayer in his very famous The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And Calvin understood prayer to be vital in the Christian life and viewed it, as he said, quote, as the chief exercise of faith. And so for centuries, with few exceptions, Calvin's instruction on prayer has remained really buried in the institutes. And given that this work seems really daunting for most, I mean, if you see a thousand page book, most lay people, a lot of pastors, uh, just to be honest, are, are just simply not gonna pick that up. And so Calvin's teaching is so practical that I wanted to extract it from his larger work. And now it's available as the very first small little volume in the series prayer, the chief exercise of faith. So Calvin never thought prayer was a vain exercise to a God who's unconcerned without our welfare. Uh, but he saw prayer as a very intimate communion with the living God who cared enough about his own people that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the mediator between God and man. So that was the first book. The second book um, came almost immediately after because you can't do prayer without introducing the subject of meditation, and so it's really a companion to the first book, and the second book is called Meditation, a Christian on the Mount by a very practical Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson. Meditation is one of the lost spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Uh, while the world is exploring various forms of spirituality, believers are called to grow in their spiritual knowledge of scripture, that is, to dive deep into the divine doctrines of God and grow in Christ through the practice of meditation. So Watson comes along and defines meditation as the soul's retiring of itself by serious and solemn thinking upon God. And then he says, the result is the heart is raised to heavenly affections. Well, guys, I need my heart raised to heavenly affections every single day. And so I thought, here's some gold here. Here's some diamonds that need to be unveiled. So it should be meditation should be as natural to us as Bible reading, as prayer, is even breathing. It should go along with prayer. It should go along with our Bible reading. And so Watson takes believers by the hand, leads them into the subjects, practices, and applications of biblical meditation. So that's the second book, Meditation, A Christian on the Mount. Then we come to the third book, and I did all three of these within just a few months. Each book has um, a small introductory portion, as well as a biographical account of the author, and then as well as more of an updated version of the text by myself. It's edited um, and put together with scripture verses and so on, so it's quite easy to read. The third volume is by another Puritan by the name of Thomas Brooks, Humility. Now, um, we might as well throw spirituality, uh, especially biblical spirituality, out the door unless we are humble, unless we have the practice of humility, which I think is as much of a spiritual discipline as anything. Uh, Brooks comes along and he says, oh, labor every day to be more humble and more low and more little in your own eyes well, that's a spiritual discipline, isn't it? That should be a practice as we grow in holiness. And so a significant concern for Brooks was how believers viewed themselves after they became Christians. In other words, it's so easy to begin to have an inflated view of ourselves. Well, you know, I'm saved and and I'm a blood-bought saint and nothing really can touch me. And I can just, there's a... a set of thinking that, well, I can just sin and 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 I've got this, you know, advocate with the Father and I can just go live this happy, go-lucky life and do whatever I want to. Or there's this idea of being quite puffed up. And he talks about the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the New Testament who thought they were regenerate, but yet their lack of humility demonstrated that they in fact were not Christians at all. They were not regenerate at all. And so a humble heart recognizes that not even a crumb of mercy is deserved. And so Brooks enters really every room of our hearts and applies scripture to clean out the cobwebs, as it were, of bitterness and pride and self-righteousness and you will be challenged and changed when humility becomes a, a spiritual discipline that you pursue. And so um, seeing all of these topics and and then not having time to do as many top, topics as I would like because I was writing some other things, uh, some uh, Another recent work has come out, uh, "The Loveliest Place," uh, which um, I authored. Um, Crossway published that, and so I was working on other things and didn't have time to do everything that I wanted. And so I began to ask some very dear, close friends uh, to help edit some of these volumes. And so the next volume that came out was "Faith Steadfast in Trials," uh, by my uh, edited by my good friend Cameron Dula, who um, a pastor in Tennessee. Um, a volume uh, from the works of John Owen, and this work asks several questions regarding what is faith? What kind of faith does God accept? How does faith glorify God in seasons of calamity? And I thought, yes, this is a topic that we all need to uh, become aware of, and so in this collection of sermons, John Owen masterfully applies this vast biblical and theological knowledge to his definition of saving faith and offers us the details for what it means to for the righteous to live by this faith. Um, I think many times in the Christian life we think, well, faith was first exercised at salvation, and then it's really not necessary because obviously we believe in Christ and we don't need faith again. Well, here comes along John Owen, and he says, oh, no, 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 no. You need faith every single day of the Christian life. And so how do we put that into practice? And then finally, the, the last little volume that came out uh, just a month or so ago, Uh, was by a friend, uh, Joel Morris, who I worked with at Union School of Theology in Wales. He's done some really tremendous work in the area of stewardship and giving uh, in the Christian life, and he picked up and edited a little volume from Jonathan Edwards called Stewardship, a Christian Duty. And so he presents Edwards' Theology of Stewardship, uh, which has often been overlooked in today's church, uh, stewardship is not something we talk about as a sp- Christian spiritual discipline. Uh, we have bypassed it primarily because we don't uh, really understand what is involved, especially our generosity to the poor. Uh, and w- we've placed some of these teachings kind of in a box in the Old Testament that have nothing to do with the Christian life. But, of course, here comes along Edwards, and he uh, fillets our hearts, and he opens our hearts in, in his um, really Puritan way, and he begins to apply certain biblical principles regarding stewardship and what stewardship looks like, and what our giving looks like, and what it should look like um, in regard to uh, being a spiritual discipline. And so that that's the series thus far. There are other volumes uh, planned. Uh, I have a dear friend um, by the name of Kevin Hay. Uh, who is a pastor in um, West Virginia, doing a little volume uh, on Thomas Goodwin, from Thomas Goodwin, editing a small volume on that. I am editing another volume by Stephen Charnock uh, on worship. And so that should uh, be a good volume. And then there are others. So H&E has been very kind to me in allowing just kind of an open-ended series um, when we find little works that need to be done we want to do those uh, and put them in this series of classics on biblical spirituality. So I, I hope that I went book by book and answered some of the questions um, that that you ask, Austin. So uh, that that's the series.
0: Sounds like a very useful series, and I'm sure it will be a, a rich blessing to those who are able to read through it from start to finish. And what I really liked about your definition of biblical spirituality and, and connecting it with with other um, authors and and figures from church history who have thought on this subject that there's a interrelatedness between growing in one's intellectual knowledge of God's word, diving deep into scripture. There's an interrelatedness with that reality as well as with let's go and grow in personal holiness. Let's exalt the trying God in every aspect of my life and You mentioned several Puritans who um, have really fleshed that out well throughout the course of some of the works that they've written and just the way that they lived their lives in devotion to and service of the living God. So I think for the sake of just getting your perspective on um, how the Puritans relate to biblical spirituality, especially given the attention that they receive in your series, um, what would you say— Uh, that the Puritans provide uh, as far as being helpful in grasping biblical spirituality for oneself. What makes the Puritans so helpful in understanding this um, reality? And what can we learn from them in regard to growing in our own personal holiness as well?
2: Hmm. Well, those are some great questions, Dewey. Um, The Puritans have been tremendously helpful to me uh, in my own Christian life and Christian growth. And the way I often like to put it is the Puritans or the Puritan era—this is a group of people that we're talking about uh, here—the Puritans put into practice the theology of the Reformers. And so the Reformers come along, and they recover biblical, historical, and systematic theology. Uh, uncovering biblical doctrines like justification by faith and sanctification and, and what is faith and all the rest of it coming out of this Roman Catholic medieval period of hierarchy and indulgences and all the rest. And so the Reformers really unveil for us or uncover for us theology brand new. They put that into practice, yes, but the Puritans come along and they really put it into practice. That is, they saw this robust theology, and they began applying it to every aspect of life. So what does Reformed theology look like in marriage, in work, in play, in children, in education, in the public square, in missions, in evangelism, in the Christian life, etc.? So the Puritans were living a life of pilgrimage on this earth. They were traveling, as John Bunyan says in his Pilgrim's Progress, to the celestial city. And so on this pilgrimage, as we are growing in the faith, growing in holiness, how does my theology look like practically every single day? And so the Puritans distilled the life of holiness down to, and I'll just mention three things for the sake of brevity and the time that we have. Three things that you can really boil the life of holiness down to. First of all, the Puritans would say, imitation of the character of God. Imitation of the character of God. That is, the holiness, the holiness of God himself ought to be our foremost stimulus to cultivate holy living. God is holy. As R.C. Sproul reminds us, nowhere in the Bible do we hear that God is love, 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 or God is um, joy, 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 but we hear God is holy, holy, holy. So holiness is a differentiating character of the triune God himself. And so, this imitation of the character of God should be our foremost stimulus to cultivate holy living. And so, the Puritans teach us that. Secondly, the Puritans would say conformity to the image of Christ. Conformity to the image of Christ. In Philippians 2, Paul says, if we are to be holy, we must have the mind of Christ. Now, This isn't aiming for conformity to Christ as a condition of our salvation, but as a fruit of salvation received by faith. So there's this humility that is placed within us. Paul sets up the example of Christ in his downward condescension from glory to humility as a human, as incarnate word in flesh, to us as the penultimate example of what our Christian life should be. So conformity to the image of Christ. That's what I love about the Puritans. Christ, Christ, Christ. Everything is about Jesus in the Puritans, and it must be in the life of the Christian as well if we are to pursue a life of holiness. And then thirdly, submission to the mind of the Holy Spirit. Submission to the mind of the Holy Spirit. So according to 1 Corinthians 2, the Holy Spirit was sent to bring the believer's mind in submission to his mind. Romans, Paul takes up that subject about walking in the Spirit. The Spirit shows us our need for holiness. The Spirit implants a desire within us for holiness. The Spirit grants Christ's likeness in holiness. The Spirit provides strength to live a holy life. The Spirit leads us in the means of grace to pursue holiness. And so what you have here, guys, from the Puritans, is this Trinitarian lens through which we need to view all the Christian life. Imitation of the character of God, God the Father. Conformity to Christ, to the image of Christ, the second person of the Trinity and then thirdly, submission to the mind of the Holy Spirit. And so the Puritans are constantly using this Trinitarian language through which we must see as a framework for our growth in holiness and our pursuit of biblical spirituality in all of the Christian life. So those are just a few things in a few ways that the Puritans have really helped me to understand what true holiness is all about.
1: Amen. Amen. And uh, I hope that our listeners can hear um, your passion for biblical spirituality oozing out of your answer there as you uh, talk about how the Puritans can help us uh, strive for holiness. But that directly relates to this question we already had planned for you. Why are you so passionate about biblical spirituality? And why do you think others should be passionate about biblical spirituality or should care about um, our spiritual well-being?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm. I think I'm passionate just because I'm passionate about the Christian life and growth in the Christian life, and uh, our lives do not stop when we are saved, but they begin. It's the beginning of life. Uh, I often go to First Timothy one five, and we read the Apostle Paul's. Conve- conviction that the ultimate goal of his Christian teaching and doctrinal instruction is to develop love in his hearers and readers, love for God and love for one's fellow human beings. And Paul says there, he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience with a sincere faith. And that must be the ultimate goal of the Christian life, one of the ultimate goals of the Christian life. Uh, Richard Lovelace, um, in his book Renewal as a Way of Life, a guidebook for spiritual growth, he says this, the goal of authentic spirituality is a life which escapes from the closed circle of self-indulgence or even self-improvement to become absorbed in the love of God and other persons. And so, guys, spirituality, biblical spirituality, is not about self-improvement. It's not about self-indulgence. No, if anything, it's about self-denial. I have to kill myself in order to grow in Christ, and that's the Spirit's work within us from the moment of salvation. It's about decreasing ourselves and increasing Christ, as Lovelace says, to become absorbed in the love of God. And so the goal of piety, as well as the entire Christian life, is the glory of God, glory that shines in God's attributes in the structure of the world, and in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only way to know God. It's the only way to know the depths of our sin. It's the only way to fear God. It's the only way to be conformed to Christ and be led and directed by the Holy Spirit. And so the goal of piety, the goal of holiness, is the glory of God and then— as a result of glorifying Him, we become absorbed in His love and then extend that love both to Him as well as our fellow neighbor. And so that's why i become passionate about biblical spirituality, is because it's growth in Christ, it's growth in the Christian life, it's sanctification, and I'm just desiring to be made more like Christ, and I'm not anywhere close, and I never will be for all eternity. I'll never be anywhere close to Christ. But yet we have the tremendous, glorious privilege of constantly being conformed in mind and heart to be more and more like Him.
0: Well, we've been discussing biblical spirit with Dr. Dustin Binge, editor of the series on biblical spirituality with h and Publishing. Dr. Binge, by way of bringing our conversation to a conclusion, what are some final words of encouragement that you may have for our listeners on the subject of biblical spirituality? And are there any resources that you can direct our listeners to to help them grow in their passion for biblical spirituality?
2: Well, read the Puritans, right? Um, that that's the directive here. <laughs> read, read great historical theology. Read systematic theology, because the deeper your theology goes, the more robust your spirituality is. You cannot live the truth if you do not know the truth, and so know the truth. Be in the Scriptures. Be. Uh, absorbed in the Bible, be absorbed in prayer, be on your knees pursuing spiritual disciplines. Now all of these books that I mentioned are available on the Hesed and Emmett website. Um, They're available on Amazon. You can follow me on various social media channels in order to get updates on new volumes that may be coming out. Um, But I would just encourage you, don't think about it, do it. And and sometimes one of my favorite secular authors is David McCullough, uh, who wrote that tremendous biography of John Adams and um, uh, Truman and the Roosevelts. If if you don't read David McCullough, you need to read David McCullough. But what he says about writing is this: Don't tap your foot. Get up and dance. And and I've often applied that to the Christian life. Don't tap your foot. Get up and do it. Don't think about Bible reading. Put a plan in place, put a a structure in place, put a framework in place and be in the word every single day. Don't think about prayer, pray. That's how you grow in prayer. That's how you grow in Christ. Don't think about and just study fasting. No, fast. Jesus says, when you fast. Don't think about evangelism. No, go out and tell others about Christ. And so it's not about sitting and thinking, but it's about getting up and doing. That's what biblical spirituality is all about.
0: Amen. Well, Dr. Benj, it has been great to have you on the Covenant podcast today, and we certainly wish you nothing but the best in your forthcoming work with H&E Publishing on the subject of biblical spirituality and, of course, all the other tasks and ministry responsibilities that our Lord has entrusted you with as well. So thank you so much for being here today. and. To our listeners, we also want to thank you for joining us for today's conversation with Dr. Binge. And as always, we wish you grace and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. May God richly bless you. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast.